Welcome to the latest episode of the Brush Builders Union podcast. I'm your host and president of the Brush Builders Union, Simon Berman. This month, I am joined by the one and only Garrow, Thomas Rhodes, of uh, infamous fame among the Warhammer community. Garrow, Thomas, uh, how's it going? Going well. Hey, so uh, yeah, thanks for taking the time to talk to me. You know, you're somebody who's been on my list of people I'd like to speak to for a long time because you've been, become such a, a leading light of the Warhammer community in particular. And uh, I think it's, it's pretty cool. You know, I think you do so much to promote the, the hobby and uh, Ford World stuff in particular. It's just uh, you should have some interesting perspectives on it. Yeah, it's all sort of come down from originally just obviously because I'm in the UK. Because if I'm, I've got the privilege to be able to go to all, like, lots of the open days and I've, the old games days, Warhammer Fest and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, for all the designers and writers, and you obviously you end up with just so much more, more information and thought and understanding of what goes on and why decisions are made, why certain things the way they are and stuff. And it's you just sort of see people asking questions online and in forums, especially and stuff, and just always wanted to just sort of share that info because obviously the more the hobby understands the other side of the curtain, the more everyone gets out of it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, and oh, just, I want to clarify my listening. That you know, I, I think you know it's probably important that you're not, you're not actually a member of Games Workshop. You know, you're just a very yeah. enthusiastic uh, person who kind of promotes for them, aren't you? Yeah. So I'm um, yeah, I'm completely independent and stuff. No sponsors and never worked with them and stuff directly and stuff. So yeah, I'm just just a hobbyist. How, how did you get started in wargaming as a hobby? Was it was it with Games Workshop or have you played other games? Yeah, yeah, it was Games Workshop. It was back in t- uh, 2002, I want to say. So it was uh, the two ta- uh, when the two towers was just launching for the Lord of the Rings range. Uh-huh. So I think one of my cousins had uh, White Dwarf issue two seventy seven was the second part of the Hounds Deep battle report. The game special was built a full like to scale Hounds Deep reenactment for it over a couple of issues, uh, just in the film. And I was like, "Yeah, that's what I'm spending my Christmas money on." And stuff. So and then cool. just it all went downhill from there. <laughs> <laughs> so Lord of the Rings was kind of your, your intro to Games Workshop's product, which I think probably was a little unusual at that time, wasn't it? Well, I, th- well, I think for people in my age group, age group, I know I'm on the younger side of the hobby, and so especially even, like, even, even in my friends' circles, young one and stuff. But so, yeah, especially in the UK and stuff, I know Lord of the Rings was really big. Well, obviously, because I was still in, in school and stuff, like, all my friends were into the film, in, into the films, and a lot of, quite a few of us started up doing Lord of the Rings we could do, re- do like the reenactments and all that sure and then it, like just over into oh look science fiction and all the other sort of stuff in from there yeah they, they really hooked you huh so, so what did um what were you playing for Lord of the Rings out of curiosity um admittedly for me I don't know if it hit the states or not there was a Lord there was a uh I can't think what they call it artworks and so a bit like what we've got at the moment with Conquest and Mortal Realms and stuff, the um, like the, the week by week magazines. So there was a Lord sure. of the Rings version for that back, and, stuff, and it literally took you through everything. And so I think it was about eighty odd issues and stuff. You ended up sort of collecting like all the heroes, enough stuff to do like all the reenactment scenarios, stuff, paint, and all the rest, all the rest of it and stuff. So I started off with that, but I was very much just a uh, collect it all kind of per- kind of person, a bit like what I am. Sure, the, uh, Necromunda. That's that's very cool. So um, do you still play Lord of the Rings? Uh, no, unfortunately. So he moved the uh, reboot a few years back. So I've, it, it, it's sitting on my periphery for going back into it when I get 
time and space and money to go back yeah. into another game system. It's hard I'm to still, keep up with everything. Yeah, because I'm still playing three systems actively. I've got another another couple. I've got stuff that I want to get started on, so I can't really, don't really have, just have time to start sick. So, what 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 was the sort of the initial um, sort of joy of miniatures for you? You know, was it was it because you were such a big Lord of the Rings enthusiast, or was there something? What excited you about miniatures gaming, I guess, in the first place is what I'm asking. And also, I'm not 100% sure. It was just one of those sort of things. I've always been very stereotypically geeky. And so it was always, for me, like Star Wars, Jurassic Park, all the big franchise stuff that I was always into. And just obviously, I just saw the Lord of the Rings stuff. I was like, okay, so I can like reenact things. I was quite big into like, the sort action figures and all that kind of stuff. And just obviously this, then they just gave me a way to do all that kind of stuff I wanted to go do. So I started off pretty much gaming and collecting side of things and sort of just learned the painting. So obviously at that sort of time in the hobby, but if you wanted to play in like in the games workshops and stuff, was all your stuff painted the old like five colours minimum rules. Of course, yeah. That's what I saw. So that's where I came into the hobby. So that's that sort of don't use stuff was like ingrained into me from so do you still primarily play painted then um yeah and so i mean i've generally kept to that role because for me especially so i'm mostly amber sort of a collector and gamer mm. paintings the uh and stuff but for yeah i've always sort of kept the rule of because at the end of the day a painted arm two painted armies on a board full of paint scenery just look so much better yeah there's nothing like it, is there no so especially coming from someone who like who started very much still in the narrative focus of how everything looks is as as much of the story. You got in with Lord of the Rings and, and that line. What, what was kind of the transitional uh, moment for you to make it over to the, the other uh, Games Workshop products? Um, I think it was just for me, because obviously cause I was starting to pick up the uh, up White Dwarf. So obviously back then they still had a sort of dedicated Lord of the Rings section at the back. And so then it's just a matter of just me eventually just starting to read more of the of the rest of the magazine. And so I remember reading, I think it was the same issue, so they had a, I uh, can't remember the exact name for it, it was basically like a four-player free-for-all one. Uh-huh. So I had, um, oh, was it Dark Angels, uh, Nids, Orcs, and Word Bearers. And they straight, saw straight up four corners, one objective in the centre, sort of back dash to the middle. And that, that ended up quite influencing me, because uh, that was a... Dark Angels ended up being my first for a army battle report. And so I think it was the same issue. They were just going through the end of like the big, the sort of the end of third edition, but for the build up to four. So I've so mm-hmm. got a, quite a good. They had an article. And it was basically talking about all the stuff they'd done over the last few years because it was like the first bronze uh, and tower only just had their first proper codexes. And they right. were sort of talking about all of, and there was loads of teasers talked about over the next years and just sort of like you know well, this is actually really cool because i started going in or met a few other people who were playing and that's all like and basically just started sort of game building up my own armies and worked out from there really sure so dark angels were your, that was your first army yeah very 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 first army i've had quite quite a few over the years I'm sure <laughs> what is it about dark angels that really got you excited and also i think if the original ones the um Obviously, back in those days for the White Dwarf and stuff, the armies in the battle report weren't the heavy metal um, armies. It was the actual fighters' own personal armies. Yeah, 
can't remember. I think it was, I can't remember who, whose they were, but the Dark the Dark Angels had pretty much all, all they were all rogue, and it was obviously the metal for that and stuff, and just that would blend. I think they had a sort of white trimming and stuff, which mm-hmm. was quite really unique because it was just such a cool color combo, and that's just like yeah, I want to do that. And so it was like it was back before like Dark Angels had their own like own separate codex and stuff. So it was sure. very much just it was just purely down to the scheme that good. So that was, yeah, space marines were space marines back then, weren't they? Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, it was, you, know, you, so you had like the um, uh, index studies, like um, articles coming and their own little units. But this was very much before the full blown codexes that we got. Yeah, aspects and stuff years ago. That's cool. So, have you, have you stuck with Dark Angels? Are they still one of your main armies? No, they drifted out pretty quickly back in those days. I was very. I would only have an army for. A, Pretty much a year, year and a half before I sort of moved on. So I've always been someone who's badly with the uh, shiny thing, just the all new shiny thing. So I'm sure that as of the amount of uh, half finished projects and stuff uh, in the corners of shame and stuff over the years. Huh. I think I've sort of worked my way through over the years for 40k at least. I think I've pretty much every codex, oh, at least wow. every major thing, whether or not that was an allied army design that sort of brought all the models and then. Didn't get anywhere with it, but yeah, I mean, I've played. I think I've played everything. Maybe I think Nids is pretty much the only thing I haven't even started. Oh wow! At some point or another. So, do, do you still have all those miniatures, or do you do you get rid of them, or? Uh, most of it was sold. Uh, most yeah. of my stuff was sold. I was um, I was a big A one Horus Heresy fan, and stuff. I was already were already sort of working on the concepts for it when uh, Forge World released their first book, which was um. Betrayal came out eight years ago today. I saw your post so, about that. Yeah. I thought that was kind of kind of serendipitous. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was just sort of about a um, funny enough of all things. It was a Facebook memories. So it was just a picture of um, my bed covered in all the things that I brought and stuff <laughs> that I posted, saying like a good good hold for the day. Jesus, that was yeah, it's, eight years ago. It's just funny because it, you know it seems like eight years ago is a long time, but also it feels like Horus Heresy has been such a big thing for so long. It's it's only been eight years. Yeah, so I mean, it's one of those things. But then it's like for me, I went back um, every now and again, and so I get all nostalgic. And I look back at the old Forge World YouTube channel. They do like the videos that I like. I post and stuff. The uh, uh, the old um, like those first few intro videos for the Horus Heresy and stuff. And it, like it captures such a completely different game almost because it's evolved so much over the years. Because obviously we've had like nine black books. All the legions are now out. All bar one of the Primarchs are out. I mean, if you go back to go back 10, 15 years and stuff, you'd have said that's crazy and stuff. Yeah, <laughs> we're never, we're never, we're never gonna have to have Primarchs. We're never gonna have any of that kind of stuff. And now we're sitting here where we're moaning about not having enough head combinations and extras for them. Right. Yeah, yeah, even stuff like that. Yeah, so so back more to the original questions of them. Obviously, I was. A lot of me and my, my mates were very big heresy fans and stuff from day one, and I pretty much sold 40k and stuff because I used it all to finance my first Horus Heresy army, which was you know, pretty much uh, sold off all my 40k armies at the time and stuff, and just sort of used it to finance going first in heresy. Me and pretty much most of, most of my friendships were all had uh, Space Marine armies. 
but most most of them were very dedicated to a particular legion or chapter. Uh-huh. You know, I mean, a couple of them have even named their kids after particular um, Primarchs and characters. <laughs> oh, wow. But, yeah, and so that, that's like, the thing, things for me, I've never had that, um, I'm trying to think of the word to describe it, um, I've never had that sort of connection to a particular army. So, so, so like, they all had those legions, and most of them, they had armies big enough that they could convert straight over. Sure. So they had like you know they all got like five six tactical and stuff so they can just or the, swap the models around to create tactical, the heresy versions of tactical squads and mm-hmm. that kind of stuff and all the tanks and tanks and all that kind of thing. So I knew that my gaming circle for the for heresy was quite big. The bar. Yeah. I felt comfortable just like yeah I'm pretty much going to be playing thirty k from here on in. So that's where I went. So I went straight cool. in. So, um, you know, obviously your, your friends were very into it. What, what was it about the heresy that got you more excited than you were about, you know, say, standard Warhammer 40,000? For me, I miss it. My interactions with the heresy, because initially I wasn't obsessed by the novels and stuff, because I tried starting with 40k novels back when I was and stuff, and obviously all like, the extra terminology, the sort of all the Latin words and stuff, I wasn't a strong reader. They did put me off for quite a while. Like the big bit for me was the Collected Visions book. So if you remember it, it was the one that had like all the all the trading cards artwork. I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah, because yeah, I know they've they've. Um, well, could you go explain to our listeners a little bit about that? Back in the day, um, Games Workshop licensed a trading card game based on the Horus Heresy law. There was pages of it back, and they create they created a load of um, artwork for all and. When the series was finished, they released all the artwork as a book. And so, a big 100 page uh, book. And it had, uh, I can't remember, I think it was Alan Merritt himself uh, wrote, basically wrote out the whole overarching heresy uh, storyline and put it into it. And they sort of, all the artwork to the section and stuff. And so, for me, I basically came into that and just read it as basically like a 200 page heresy. And really enjoyed it. Loved the sort art. Sort of a there. primer on the heresy, then. Yeah, essentially. I mean, it's, it's a very good place to start. Obviously, the book series now is like fifty-four novels. Yeah, it's plus, a little much. Yeah, plus the Siege of Terror, which is already uh, book six, is on its way in the post already. Yeah, and stuff. So I mean, like, we're already up to sixty novels, and most some of them are up. And stuff. So yeah, this yeah. brings it down. This brings the the overall story down to about. It's about 250, 300 now, but with, mm-hmm. with, with pictures and stuff. And I was always someone who's very much, I like, I love the visual of like the, the army on the board with all the scenery and all the rest of it. And this just was like something that's complete. So we, like, we start, start, then started reading the novels and then oh, I found only about three novels in when the trail uh, started getting rumoured and eventually right. released and stuff. And obviously for me, it's about to, and act and actually play those armies, those models, because obviously a lot of the stuff that was in the artwork hadn't existed at that point. On the model, in the actual model range, stuff, stuff like Contemptors and stuff, obviously the Primarchs themselves and a lot of the other sort of like tanks. Other things just hadn't existed at that point. I mean, Forge World, obviously they did like the Badab Wars and stuff beforehand, which allowed them to get a lot of basics out ahead of 
himself, which I also did a lot, did a lot of the uh, Badab War. Yeah, I, you know, I, I think like... people kind of forget about the Badab War books at this point, but I think those were really cool, and obviously they, they set a lot of foundation for what Forge World has done since then. Um, and I kind of wish they'd do them for 40k again, so I think, I think it's sort of interesting to, you know, take a very narrow look at a small portion of the 40k universe and really, really dig into the details of it. Yeah. So yeah, so I mean, I mainly for me that one of the reasons I jumped hard into the Heresy range because I've I've been collecting the, the Imperial Armor books and stuff. I think I started probably with book seven with the um like for the for me like the Heresy the Dab Wars bit was yeah I found I collected Astral Wars and stuff. Did a Tyrant's Legion one which was like a precursor for Space Marines leading guard in one army. Uh-huh. So mostly mostly using the guard as human shields. Right. They actually, I think they actually had a rule for that back in the day. If you shot the Marines through a guard squad, as if the uh, Marine squad, as if the squad had that the squad that they were shooting through took casualties, and stuff, which was like one of the first like real instances of that kind of or, like proper narrative um, gaming. And yeah, me, me and quite a few friends had already played, were collect had did a, a campaign in Alan or and stuff. So like that's one of the reasons I was like really into into it. So straight off the back, they they learned so much doing the Imperial Armor books. Mm-hmm. Throw all of that expertise and knowledge straight into Horus Heresy. Stuff so was uh, going to be what it was going to be, and it, and it was a great series and still is. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, I, talking about the Bedev War, you know, I, my club we actually have one of the old posters from that with all of the different um, Space Marine legions on it. If you remember that at all, um, yeah, I remember that one. I think I've still got that. It folded up in a. Uh, binder somewhere yeah you know I, but that kind of thing is it's it's so um compelling to me because it really immerses you in the, the that small part of the setting you know i, I think 40k can be it's it, the, the world building for 40k is so huge that it can be a little overwhelming and you know, even if you're an experienced hobbyist when you're trying to figure out where you wanted to go with it um you know you, you have so many choices and i think it's cool to take these sort of you know zoomed in looks at it um and I think they've really succeeded with that. And I, th- I think the, part of the appeal for the Heresy, for me anyway, is that it's um, it's almost like historical gaming for Warhammer, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, it's very much that sort of thing. Because obviously it's so heavily focused around the novels and published events and stuff. That it, yeah, you, uh, you, you definitely get a very strong narrative. I mean, the game's built straight up from the ground up with narrative play in mind and focus on narrative play. And stuff that you obviously then you have like the novels and stuff. Obviously then the Forge World book so well written, and obviously the major difference in the uh, Forge World books and the Imperial Army for them. A lot of people don't seem the people know, but they don't seem to pick up on it. Is that they're all all the Imperial Armor and Heresy books are written in universe and stuff. So you do get that pure like, but then they can also play with those sort of interesting facts I can write they can write bits into the books that allude to things that we know still a mystery in universe or just straight up contradict events because of me after the end of the day the Imperium doesn't oh it's um it's the truth obviously you've got inquisitors chopping and changing and redacting things left right and center and so so like when you have like these sort of the, the historians like the books they can have these contradictions and allows you to play really play out really cool stories. So because you can do you can do your army do it in you know, direction A or where the law says B. I mean obviously like they've came up with uh, was it the Legion of the Damned have got half a dozen different backstories that came into existence. Right. You can 
you can choose which one you want to be true. So not just from a narrative point, but you can do which paint your army. Yeah, I mean, I think one of one of the real joys of, of the Warhammer universe is, um, you know, it's such a great sandbox to put your own stamp on it, not have it be contradicted by the, the canon, even when the canon does contradict it, right? I mean, the history is sort of sort of so convoluted and weird, and um, the heresy kind of shines, a, you know, a, a light on some of the, the the secret histories of it, but it doesn't necessarily, you know, invalidate what you're doing with your own hobby, does it? Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's, uh, Forge to their credit, always a lot of effort into is like at the end of and like pointing out like, well. The whole that whole legion wasn't there. Stuff, stuff like um in the early law, the early versions of the heresy and stuff like all of the blood angels went to um sickness prime and stuff. But obviously, got a legion of two thousand dogs scattered across the galaxy. They're not all going to get there on. Sure. And other than other than some of them are just aren't going to get the message. And so so they're all off. You got thousands of them scattered off elsewhere who can then turn up in your own local campaigns and also you want to have a a company of this or a random squad that got lost on the way turning up in your armies or in your other places and stuff like that yeah then they've been expanding or on the because obviously like heresy used to be pretty much it had istavan a couple of law uh ferris lost his head and then it went straight off to like you had Alf and you know, the other leaders oh, right. had one, one big event each, and then it went straight to the siege. And they've put so much effort into pointing out that while there was a whole galaxy, there was plenty of other stuff going on. The legions were weren't all together, and stuff, so you could have everyone turning up where they. And so I think they've started doing that quite well with the um, the siege parrot novels. Not that I'll go into any detail because obviously. It's still a new book series, don't want Sure, no spoilers. No. Yeah. So by saying there's a lot of effort to make sure that even when they're explaining and adding stuff, there's still all that grey area and shadow for players to, to add their own stuff or do that in their own way and, and sort of spin, spin it into their, what they want to do with it. And so which something for me feels it does sometimes missing from the newer codexes. Yeah, I, I sort of the emphasis on match play and sort of like create, especially like the yeah, faction abilities. And stuff. You don't seem to see all that gray area quite as much. Yeah, I mean, I think to a certain degree, Forge World is sort of, or Specials Games, have become sort of the corner of Games Workshop that really has the space to still explore that stuff in depth, isn't it? Yeah, I think, it's, I think it's, um, it comes down to, I think it's like, because obviously, like the, friend, the, the Specialist Game Studios are relatively small in comparison. But the thing is, like for them, also because they're completely in control of their own little universes, essentially with the game systems. And obviously, with like forty k and AOS, you've got a lot more expectations from the from the from the community and stuff. Because obviously, like everyone wants their army to get the next codex, the next right, the next range up. And obviously, we've got so many armies and stuff that I mean, like they've got to spend. I mean, they spend pretty much the whole of it just doing exes and stuff they, they don't have that time to let let it breathe and sort of expand it mm-hmm. they just have to update now they've started doing stuff like for approved and the um, general handbook kind of like match play so much of the specialist games stuff is so much more narrative and laid back or a lot tighter because obviously like the heresy's got in legions plus mechanicum and all the other weird stuff uh, it all runs off of one core list. 
and so I think, so I think it's one of the things that's heresy has been very well it's been a double-edged sword as such because the rule the, we only get basically like one big black we don't get that many rules up updates which is in and of itself an issue but it also then means that like the meta and the gaming community doesn't change as much yeah which means you've got that stability but you've got to say that if you spend 100 200 pounds or dollars or whatever on um this big portal kit you know it's going to be good in two three months and so well it's up with i mean like we've seeing it in the moment like you've got this new core keyword and that's just completely thrown everyone's meta listing out right and so, so it's like oh well that's my 300 pound army i just brought out on ebay and stuff but like with heresy so you've got that stability for people to just really expand their armies and stuff and you get you have all that kind of stuff knowing that all that kind of stuff's going to be for a long time which allows you then to put that much, much more effort yeah, it, it seems to me that the, the heresy community is also, in general, more interested in narrative and story than it is in the actual gameplay as well. So I, I think that sort of works in their favor. And that you know, from the hobby perspective, it's maybe a little more intimidating to get into because you know you, you the, the costs are a little bit higher when you're buying all that forge gold resin to, to really kit out your your space marines um, and the vehicles and such. But you know, from a rules perspective, you know, it's probably not going to change that much. So you can kind of make a make a decision to, to build a base of the army you want and not worry about it being outdated too quickly. Is that, is that what you're saying? Yeah, I would say, yeah, it's, um, it lets you be also there as well because it, it's not going to be outdated. So you can do it much slower. And so you can do it like a unit at a time. And stuff where obviously with like 40 and stuff now, you've got a base whole army list and buy it all in one go you know, get the time and use out of it. Right. So, I mean, like for me, me, me locally and stuff, we've got a um, heresy slow grow and stuff uh, planned, originally planned for May and stuff to start. But obviously, it's going to be whenever, sure, when, whenever reality resumes. All right. So yeah, so we've like we've all been doing that and stuff. So we all started off like we're going to do like five, um, start off with thousand points. So that's I mean, admittedly in heresy, that's pretty much a hate you, your two troop, about one other unit. All right. Except for the points cost. And then we were, were going to scale up. Obviously, by the time we get around to actually starting, I think most of us are up to armies. Some of us probably even a bit further ahead of that. Oh, yeah. But even even then, something like with those sort of things, because we know we've got rules solid, you don't mind going slow. Because it allows you to properly build it up. That's obviously then you get to worry with your army and stuff you don't really do when you're just like, a match play all the time. Yeah. So um, when it comes to you know, collecting heresy stuff, what, what are your favorite parts of the heresy? Um, for me, I, admittedly, I pretty much like everything that's not Marines. Yeah. For a game that's primarily at its core, Marines versus Marines. Yeah. Stuff is um, a little bit of a contradiction stuff. But for me, I've always just loved all those, all the unique about the heresy. So like, for me, um, my two biggest armies in sort of model count money and points and stuff my um army just back and the original fire came out i sort of just added one unit of everything because it's and my biggest one is like a custodian guard army and so for me what reading those original visions of heresy the custodian guard were by far and out those but after that point they were just they in the law that by right. then 
we're never going to see models for those. <laughs> yeah, I mean, laugh, it, laughable now and stuff, but like, can you imagine telling yourself ten years ago that the the amount of support that the custodians would be getting? Yeah, so even then, even just the rest of like in just games version rule. So, I mean, if you go back and say that they were going to new, um, they would actually get mechanic, Mechanicum, Adeptus Mechanicus, only Genius Eaters, Genius Eater Colts would be back. Yeah, Plastic the Sisters Harle- of Silence. Yeah, Plastic Sisters of Silence. Um, Harlequins are a whole faction rather than just a unit. And just, and even even then, like all the other stuff, like Necromunda, Heresy and stuff, um, even like stuff like Blood Bowl and everything else, but it being back. Plastic and, and Titans. Not, <laughs> so yeah, I mean, back and and not, not just back, but like bigger than ever, really, right? I mean, oh, the, yeah, the support totally. stuff I'm getting is, is just bonkers. Like, you know, Necromunda is kind of my one true love when it comes to miniatures wargaming. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, 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 yeah, for me, Necromunda and Heresy are my, my top. And stuff for me, it's like it's the completely both heavily narrative games, but just completely different ends of the scale. Yeah. For like yeah, for like Necromunda, and so this is the thing that I've any time I've got spare time, I've everything, all the gangs, all the hunters and extras and stuff. But um, yeah, it's just like be able to have so heavily focused into that narrative and individualism with it. And obviously, then you've got Heresy on the flip side, where it's just all armies and legions out on the board and tanks, lots of tanks. A couple of titans every now and again. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, I mean, obviously your enthusiasm for all, all the stuff from specials, games, and Forge World is huge. But you know, we talk about, you know, how you became such a, a big figure in the in the Warhammer community. You know, I think there's lots of people who, you know, report news and stuff, but it feels like, you know, you're one of those sort of leading sources for people who have questions or, you know, want a, 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 a fan of perspective on, on these games and the products. Yeah, it came from originally back when... Not long after, I think it was the first Horror Serity weekend, which was the year after Betrayal came out. Um, I got to meet a uh, guy called Alec and stuff uh, from, I um, can't remember where in America he was from at the time. So he, he used to own the Apocalypse 40k blog. Um, uh-huh. Some people might remember and stuff, but primarily these days he's known as the owner of the Harrison 30k forum, which sure. which is, which well was the first dedicated horror there was like there was other like big heresy areas on other forums but this was like a big dedicated one and so i remember jumping in on it on day one and it was at that point where all the all the usernames were available all the primark names were there you could claim what oh yeah you you claim everything you didn't have to put all the numbers and all the weird bits and pieces to it and stuff and for me i was like well i don't particularly connect with any of the Primarchs or anything and stuff in a way that's would be worth me that name from a de- dedicated fan and stuff. But I wanted to have a good name, so I ended up sort of settling with Garrett. He was like obviously someone who sits outside of outside of things, but still very involved. And yeah, I mean it makes sense because Garrett is almost Garrow's almost like an everyman character. I mean, for a space marine, right? In the Horus Heresy, yeah. he's sort of like your ground level perspective. You know, he, he's not this sort of ground shaking power house, but you know, he he does impact the story. But he's he, that, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, so he's very much someone across the whole thing that he's there and he's doing stuff and he's making a difference, but he's not he's not like Sanguine. He's just smashing down warlord titans with his bare right. hand, right? 
or anything like that. He's not like he's not leading the charge and stuff, but he's there doing. They're then obviously with him sitting outside the um, outside of the legions and the, and the hierarchy and stuff. But I think that's something that I've always had. Whenever I look back at you know, to all the various franchises, who's my favourite characters? They're always like the the captain of the guards. Yeah, people who yeah. aren't actually in charge having to make the horrible decisions, but they're the ones who get to just go off and do the cool. Right. So I wouldn't want to be the emperor. I wouldn't want to be the emperor. Wouldn't mind being Baldur. Yeah, so sure. To be in charge of the custodian guy, you don't actually have to run. Yeah, there's sort of, a lot of those sorts of people. Those always end up being the most interesting for me in the in stories. That's how I end up sort of really connecting with her because he was one of the first proper independent in the, in the um, heresy series. So obviously, you still had like Moken and stuff uh, as your sort of main viewpoint through the opening books and stuff. He was still very much a son of Horus, but well, Luna Wolf, sure stuff, but. At that point, we didn't expect him making any more appearances after. Yeah, so um, so I obviously just sort of named that name, and when we different open days and stuff, we'll be posting in there. So like, oh, here's all my photos of all the new models that have been reviewed, and obviously then people ask questions about what's when's it coming out, what's what's that thing called, and I just obviously because because I'd been there, I'd been talking to designers, I just made a always trying to answer whatever I could. And so then I got to a point, and so obviously we have a lot of stuff, it's like, well, why? I was able, because if you're able to talk to all the developers all the time, well, obviously we had like New Year's open day, the Horror Heresy weekend that you had, then had Games Day, and you normally had a fourth open day, so it was about four, four maybe five times a year. So you're talking to the developers every three, but basically, so you can pick up on the patterns pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. So it's like, well, this was shown at this event, and it came out three months later, and so did all of these other things. You can then start sort of bring out the patterns, like, oh, this is going to come out at when. Oh, that thing was that thing in the cabinet was painted, painted. So that's coming, that's coming out before the other thing in the cabinet that wasn't painted. Right. So you're so able to sort of predict things pretty quickly, and obviously then, like when people started asking, oh, I wonder when this is going to come out. I could sort of like make predictions and they got to a point where people actually did think I was a um, Forge World spy. <laughs> <laughs> like, I think there was I think there was a thread at one point convinced that the uh, Garrow was actually Alan Bly's personal account at one point. <laughs> it, was, it was like I was pointing out like details and like theories and stuff that yeah that the regular person on the internet wouldn't necessarily be able to. And so because obviously if you get sitting and get into the sit seminars and stuff and listen to the, listen to like like Alan and stuff uh, speak and stuff about it. you do pick up so much more information that just doesn't it's a lot of stuff it's like oh so that makes sense now sure so if I fit if like things like um sort of things like a lot of people when uh, malevolence came out obviously you had like sanguine guard that are a big thing in 40k there's no 30k rules for them. And everyone was like, well, why, that's insane. Why would they have done that? And obviously that got up in one of the seminars and stuff. And it just sort of came down to like, oh, the heresies, the, the Horus Heresy game system is about doing all the things that don't exist and regard existing 40K. And a lot of their purpose and their um, unique features don't really happen until after Sanguinius um, gets um, beaten up a little bit by a, 
Horace. Yeah. <laughs> especially, especially stuff like obviously Blood Angels and stuff in general. A lot of their defining features in thing with like Dark Angels, those things just don't exist during the heresy. Sure. And stuff, stuff like the Fallen obviously doesn't happen until Scouring. So like, well, what? Obviously, the Dark Angels completely find themselves by hunt for the Fallen. So what do they do? Heresy. And the same with the Blood Angels. Obviously, you haven't got the, um, the Black Rage and all that kind of stuff. And wanted to focus on the other unique thing and stuff. And uh, same with a lot, a lot of that kind of stuff. It was just, let's just do what's unique to the front, unique while still being in there. But it's like, but that sort of information just doesn't really out through the on the community, like get the official, essentially. So be able to sort of like impart that into the community. And so obviously, because at the end of the day, you're, you always see in the comments people asking why don't they do this, why don't they do that. And at the end of the day, there's always a reason. Yeah. If, if even if it's not necessarily obvious to us, and so we think we can say that things with a lot of the people in games, almost everyone in games, are all massive hobbyists. But they want to do the course. At the end of the day, you got to do what makes sense. I often get to chat to Andy Hoare, who's in charge of charge of specialist games. And it's like you just got a lot of stuff is very obvious once you think about it, from especially yeah. from a business perspective. Because at the end of the day, like it's not just about making money. It's like well, like for, for like, you go for the books essentially. Like you got obviously you got to write all the stuff. Then you got to wait for some. You got to design the models. Got to wait for those models to get designed and then painted, and then someone can then photograph them to put them in the book. And then someone's got to do all the fancy board edges and all the rest of it, and then that's all got to be sent off somewhere for printing. And then you got to organise all of that being transported off to somewhere else, which has then got to be stored yeah. until the warehouse can do it, and all like all those moving parts. That's all got to be pre-organised and pre-planned. That I came to workshop years in advance on some things. So I can remember here. I remember hearing at Gamesday and stuff the the plastic imperial uh, sorry the chaos knight kit that came out. I think it was only came out last year. That was finished like nearly three years before it came out. Yeah, just I'm sure. Of, like, how how all the system works and stuff like that, especially like plastics and stuff, comes out and take up to a year or two. Because even like once you decide all the new models that come out alongside the codex, the codex has now got to be written based on them on the kits yeah and you can't really design ground and lore and all the rest of it or something until you don't know what it looks like and what it's what it does and so all those sort of things like that and stuff that you, the general hobbyists just don't really think of essentially sure so sort of folks oh yeah just make this it'll be what was it? um one of the big ones about that you often see in the community is um battlefleet gothic one that always comes up in every prediction read for every event and preview. Yeah. But at the same time, though, it's like, yes, Games Workshop pretty much print money making that. But they've got to spend like three years redeveloping that whole system. That's right. a whole bunch of a whole bunch of writers, modelists, um, people, just like people who work in the factory actually just physically like printing the models. You've got to have someone who actually uh, builds the mold. You'll have warehouse space for all of that, in addition to then still keeping all the other models running. And it's like the right, I think, like they said, if they wanted to make Battlefleet Gothic, or at least what would likely be Battlefleet Heresy, 
looking at about a year's worth, year to two years worth of work. Oh, at least every department, and they're all doing that. That's two years worth of no releases, no new additions for everything else. So they can't do that. As they, yeah. they still, got, still got to keep Necromunda and Dynamicus and everything else running. And something as well at the moment is Games Workshop still running off their original site in um, Nottingham. And there's only so many people you can fit in an office. Sure. Even less now with uh, COVID. Yeah. <laughs> but at the end of the day, I mean, yeah, you've only got so much. There's only so much factory space. There's only so much warehouse space. All that kind of stuff that you don't see mentioned in the wider community. Like, yeah, that's reasons why I just sold out in 10 minutes. Because at the end of the day, there's a big chunk of boxes. A few a few thousand of them stacked and pick up a lot. Yeah, no, no absolutely. So here, here's a question for you. What what do, what do you want to see in the future of, of Horus Heresy and the other specialist games? You know, if you, if you if you could just push a button and make them do whatever you like despite the years of, of work that goes into it, what, what would get you most yeah. excited about the future? The Horus Heresy, I honestly don't really know. There was nothing really in particular. It would be more, well, for me, for me at the moment, now that we've got Book 9 out with Dark Angels, so that's all the Legions out. Now would be a really solid time to go back and redo all the Red Books. Therefore, for people who don't play Heresy, it's basically you've got the big black ones, like, well, if you make, like uh, Book 9 Crusade. Then got the Red Books, which is basically just like a condensed version with the rules in it, because they work more like codexes. So they're just pure Here's, here is your army list, your uh, rule stats and stuff at the back, and that's literally it. But Basically books, the rule books. Yeah, with all the all the uh, background and uh, pure rules. The game gaming, essentially. Like those present red books haven't been updated since book six came out. Uh, just stuff, some time so, ago. <laughs> yes. So, you, I mean, there was even then, there was stuff in book six that didn't make it in red books. The red book print like and and stuff. You've got bits from book six, then you've got all of book seven, eight, and nine. Plus, obviously, then that would be the time for you to be able to go back and look at books one to six content because there has been a bit of rules creep in, in there over it. The armies that came mm -hmm. out back, back in the day, nothing quite on the level of what you see in forty k and AOS and stuff, but still. Still a bit of a creep, but you'd like to, like to do a, 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 re, a range refresh almost on the rules now would be a really good and this would be probably your best time frame to do it. So obviously, sense. now you've had all you've had all the books out, you haven't got anything. I mean, obviously, we've got talk of a dark mechanic coming at some point, that would be mm -hmm. a whole fact, separate fact, and stuff. So, now, now would probably be time to sit back. Do those new updated red books? Obviously, with not then having any new armies coming out, it would give the um, sculptors time to sort of catch up, do all the missing um, uh, units and characters and all that kind of stuff. All the earlier books, we could then start off a book later point. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, as for the other games, is there anything you're, you're really hoping to see in the future? You know, you mentioned Battlefield Gothic, but yeah, there's other games that could bring back like Epic, or is there just like a Necromunda portion of the world you want to see expanded? Yeah, mainly for me, I would love to see Battlefield, mostly from the big narrative per, uh, sort of bit of me. I've always wanted to do that sort of 
mega campaign system. Sure. So have like the whole like here's your whole star system. So if you play Battlefield, you often start with so if it's sort of take over, you have your fleets around the maps. Play zone mortalis games instead of doing the little boarding actions. Yeah. Got like um aeronautica games to sort of take out the land take out the uh, ground defences and then drop pod in your soldiers and like do that whole sort of big big macro level campaign system Battlefleet. Yeah, that that would be really cool. That's, <laughs> that's, that's the missing key. Because obviously you've got the main the main heresy game, Aeronautica, once they release Space Marines. If that we just solely thought of, like when they do it, you know there's going to be a um, community video about a plastic thunderbolt. So if it's going to be that that whole sort of hype, yeah, video, it's going to be, it's going to be hype videos. Like you fight, we, you fight, we, we did you the lion, we did you the pla- we did the squats, we've done zotes. So if there's one thing left left on the block, it's a plastic thunderbolt, and then it then it just zooms out, and you know there's a little one. Yeah, it's two inches long, right? It's, like, it's, 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 just to do that video, I think it's worth spending two years designing that kit just so we do I agree. that <laughs> Amazing. All right. Well, thank you so much for uh, for taking the time to talk to me. And if you're listening, um, go check out Garrow for uh, all the updated news and ruminations on uh, Forge World, Specials Games, Horus Heresy, etc. And uh, Thomas, thanks so much for taking the time to speak with me, man. It's been really good. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you know, and uh, maybe we can talk sometime in the future when some big new stuff comes out for the Forge. I'd love to get your perspective on some specific stuff and not just an overview. Yeah, sure. I mean, like whenever, whenever Games Workshop gets back around to having the big events... I'll have have plenty to talk about. Excellent. All right, well, thanks again. Thank you. The Brush Builders Union is a community of like-minded miniatures gamers dedicated to playing their games fully painted and supporting one another in their craft. Brush Builders Union is here to help you stay on track with tools and a community of fellow painters to encourage you in your journey. Take the Union Pledge and learn more at brushbuildersunion.com.